Welcome to episode 37 of Blue Jays Happy Hour Live. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. We're coming to you on an off day, and it is the beginning of September, which means that not only do people use the phrase meaningful baseball constantly from here on out, uh, we also have roster expansion. We discussed a little bit last time we got together the addition of Bradley Zimmer to the roster, or the re-addition, and now we have another player coming back who I think was relatively unexpected. We talked on the previous episode about the, you know, the Zach Pop, Julian Merriweather, the likelihood of those guys joining the roster, and instead we have ourselves Casey Lawrence. Stoughton, what do you make of the Casey Lawrence move here? It's a bit weird, right? I mean, I guess with the double doubleheader coming up on Monday against the Orioles, that's. Uh or is it Monday or Tuesday, whatever day it is, uh, that, that is uh, perhaps what Casey Lawrence is here for. But, yeah, absolutely unexpected. Um, uh, like a quad A pitcher, which there aren't a lot of, so he's kind of an interesting guy. And obviously, like, his career arc has been interesting, like through the Blue Jays organization and then gone and back and is now a, you know, a guy in his mid-30s who is, uh, uh, who's carved out a nice little niche for himself in AAA. Uh, not sure what he's doing in the majors, though. Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like you said, there is that doubleheader coming up, so it, it could be as simple as that. But at the same time, the fact that he's like he's an inning sponge, right? Like that's the only real explanation of why he has value. Like his stuff, it seems pretty clear now. We've seen 94.1 innings of what he does at the major league level. Uh, it, it's not particularly impressive. He just doesn't have the raw stuff. He can command the ball a little bit. Like we've seen, he's had success at AAA. He's been very good for Buffalo this year. But he doesn't have a bullpen role that you can think of other than we just need a bunch of innings in a low-leverage situation. And you kind of thought that that's what Yusei Kikuchi was doing down there. So I don't know. I, I don't. Did we think I don't, that? Well, if, insofar as Yusei Kikuchi was doing anything down there, right? It's to mop stuff up. And you do have an expanded bullpen because the expanded roster. So it doesn't seem to me that you really need a guy like this because you don't, you don't have as much fatigue concern with the larger bullpen. And I do think that there's something that pop could potentially give you or Merriweather could potentially give you. And so it's not necessarily the idea that like Casey Lawrence is utterly useless, although if you were really ungenerous, you might say that about them. It's that they do have some alternatives that I, that I think might serve a purpose, and it, that's what's odd to me is that it's that those guys aren't coming up. Yeah, I, I understand what you mean entirely. Obviously, um, you are not wrong about Casey Lawrence. I just, I, I just don't think that this is, you know, it's not like they're calling him up to be the only guy here for the, you know, until the end of September and end of October, like... Uh, he could be be gone very quickly, uh, which in which case you know then you have the opportunity to call up your Zach Pops, your Julian Merriweather's, your Nate Pearson's, the guys that uh, no one wants to rely on. Um, I must admit, I don't think I've I, like I've never really looked at like the uh, like the fine print of the rules about playoff eligibility, but basically, uh, you can get anyone on, on your team you want to really, as long as they were in the organization as of. Uh, when August 31st became September 1st. So I, I, I'm sure that there will be ways, that there are ways. I don't know how options even work at this point, because usually the AAA season is done by this uh, this stage of the season. 
but I, I think that I think that that's sort of coloring and, and uh, what the Blue Jays have done here, and sort of the, some of the confusion as well, right? Like you think September columns, you think like why why Bradley Zimmer, why not Moreno, why not like somebody a good prospect? It's like well, because they have a month's worth of reps they can still get in, in Buffalo. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I think we just have to sort of recalibrate what we think about you know the, the call up that gets made on September first because I'm sure they're not using. You know, intending on using Casey Lawrence for like an extended period here. Yeah, I mean, it would be shocking if he is on the team at the end of September and or during those early Next October week, games. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, things will have gone really wrong. I mean, the thing that could have <laughs> gone wrong, uh, and we'll get to that too, is like I was on the radio today. Uh, you know, I know your band, but I got a, you know, <laughs> I got got to promote, get out there and promote the show. Um, yeah. Better you than me. Um, but well, it was well, also you're the only option at this point. Yes, I am. Is the is the Mitch White issue, and I don't know. It's interesting when you go on the radio sometimes because it it's a different set of issues that sometimes people are like, oh, this is what people are talking about. I'm like, oh, I didn't necessarily realize that's what people like that. My head's in a different space than that sometimes. So like Mitch White has had two really rough outings in a row. And that's indisputable, right? But in my head, he's clearly the best option right now. Whereas you hear chatter there of like, oh, what are they going to do about Mitch White? Is there an alternative? Is there a change going to be made? Um, And for me, it's like we know that Kikuchi is just not an option at this point. We know that there's no one at AAA, like, you know, Casey Lawrence up now, you know, Thomas Hatch, Anthony K. Like there's no one there who you want to give a start to. Is there more to the issue than the, Mitch White has had a couple of bad outings, or is it just like this is going to happen with a guy who's not an elite guy, he's a back of the rotation starter, and you just sort of have to live with it? I I would say it's the latter, and honestly, I had a similar reaction uh, when, as I mentioned last time, we do there is a, there is a little bit of prep work that we do, which uh, which for me involves reading the prep work that Nick has done. Uh, but no, I, and I saw like the, like you said this very question that you know mitch white is this and it's like you know two outings in a row that's i understand people like having been scarred from a season of barrios and kikuchi being like oh man two two outings in a row that are bad the wheels are coming off but i i, I don't i don't see the situation like that at all i think that you know mitch white has uh, has had a good year on balance you know between the dodgers and between here uh and yeah, guys will sometimes have a couple bad innings in a row, and he's not a guy who's going to give you seven innings of like nine strikeouts. It's just he's he's not that kind. And, and I think that they they and we talked about this and uh, wrote about it at the time of the trade deadline. I think that they see the possibility of there being that in him at some point. Sort of like they saw the same on Ross Stripling, which they've kind of done a very good job of bringing that out. But I mean, I don't. I think that it's sort of. You know he's a band aid for now, and then they're they're kind of working under the hood on some other things that you know may manifest way down the line. But uh, I, I, you're not giving the ball to Kikuchi, and you're not giving it to Thomas Hatch or anybody else, and uh, and that's fine. Like, yeah, I, I, if anybody is uh, is worrying about Mitch White, I, I don't think that that's I don't know that I, I don't think that that's fair to him necessarily. But also, I just don't think that that's something that the team is going to worry about. Also, you can kind of have a bad fifth starter. And and also they you know with a nine man bullpen they do have the option of exploring a bullpen day if something gets dire with White but I don't think it will 
like, as you mentioned, he had two bad starts. Well, if you look at his season, he's got 15 starts this year and he's got these two brutal ones and he had one rough one with LA. But other than that, in his other 12 starts, he allowed three runs or less. And I know he's not pitching deep into games. So some of those starts are, you know, four innings, three runs. That's not exactly what you want to see. But he is getting, you know, he's keeping his team in ball games overall. I don't think he's some amazing talent by any means, but I also think that, you know, a Blue Jays fan who's only really, you know, he's only entered their mind space in the last month in August is going to get an impression of Mitch White that is a little bit unfair because he has been quite successful uh, as a starter this season. He does have, you know, half decent stuff and he throws kind of 94 at that fastball. His slider is pretty good and he commands it well. The curveball moves interestingly, but he's not great at commanding it. You know, he's got a FIP under four and his ERA is a little higher than that, but his contact management stuff is actually pretty good. So, yeah, I mean, as far as fifth starters go, I, I don't think he's someone you should lose sleep over. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. So speaking of the Fan 590, big theme uh, in today's episode, uh, we had <laughs> Mark Shapiro go on on Wednesday, which sort of created a lot of storylines as it tends to do when he speaks, which is interesting because as we've talked about before, you know, the messaging from this front office can often be a little bit opaque. Uh, and But maybe that, I don't know, maybe that adds more fuel to the fire. People like to make interpretations. If someone was, if they were more straightforward, maybe there'd be less prognosticating to get done about it but we have a podcast to do so this kind of content is good we get to parse the words of of uh, mr shapiro here and there's a few topics they touched down that i think are interesting i'm going to start with john schneider and the interim tag because over the last couple of weeks we've discussed how that seemed like almost silly like they've wanted him all along and they finally got the guy that they wanted and that the interim thing was a bit of a formality things could change depending on the results of the season. And so it's actually become a little bit of a talking point, maybe too much of a talking point, to be honest. But I, but it was interesting that he got asked about this. And so he said, well, A, I think it's more appropriate an answer for Ross to give. And B, I'm surprised seven years in, you're still asking that question because we don't make decisions that way. I don't remember the exact wording of the question. Um, we've got, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're on, you're on it. You're on it. Sorry. Go yeah. On. Um, we've got an incredible group of people here. I think we pride ourselves in doing is framing a really strong process for making that decision with input from people that would have information from different perspectives and angles, like just side note, just an unbelievably Shapiro sentence, like straight, <laughs> like, I don't know if you had like a, you know, those AI generators that are doing pictures nowadays. If you had an AI, an AI Mark Shapiro quote generator, that would be pretty much it. Um, in the end, of course, Ross is a person in charge accountable for overseeing our baseball on a day-to-day basis. So if you need to have a mass culture view, don't choose to think about it as a collaborative organization, uh, making decisions together, I would answer Ross. So like one, I don't know, it's kind of like a weirdly snarky answer to, I don't think a question that's in bad faith, even if it is a little bit, you know, maybe over the top to ask about this at this point. I don't know. It clearly... Yeah, that's quote unquote Ross's call. But to say that Shapiro is not a part of, I don't know, there's a weird, there's a level of him both ducking and not ducking this question. Because at first he's saying, well, everyone is a part of this. So it's silly to be like, who's this decision and and what is it going to be? But also it's Ross. 
Um, so it's, it's a little bit confusing. I, I think the idea that it is just Ross is not a believable idea. Like Shapiro is clearly going to have a big role in any, in managerial decisions they make. I know that he has higher level business interests and he probably doesn't, you know, he doesn't touch base on every waiver acquisition that the Blue Jays are making, but who the manager is, I think is a big enough deal that, uh, Shapiro would take a pretty, uh, extensive interest in it. No. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, I thought this and didn't really explore this tangent in the piece that I wrote about you know, when I transcribed all this. But uh, it, it almost felt like, and I, first of all, to be fair to Shapiro, I mean, I don't know if it reads, uh, the, the, you lose the tone when you, when you see the words. Like, I don't, I, I think it was more innocuous than this. Uh, and, and his tone was, wasn't as snarky as maybe the words read. Um, but, but also it almost is like, I mean, if you wanted to, if you were thinking long-term, if you're Mark Shapiro and you're thinking long-term about, uh, your own job and what you might have to do with a general manager, if you ever should have to, uh, (laughs) to, you know, fire the general manager, which, you know, is sort of, I mean, those guys are so connected at the hip that it, it doesn't really feel like that's a thing we've ever had to think about too much, but, uh, there could be a time when Shapiro is here and Atkins is not. Uh, and again, I don't know if I think it was more innocuous than this, probably, but that's one way to sort of make sure it's out there. I, I'm, I'm not doing baseball operations. I'm just the president and CEO. You know, it's a little bit dis- distancing himself from uh, whatever mess there is or will be uh, on the baseball operations side. And I, I'm sure, like, I'm sure he probably doesn't think about it that way, but uh, I, it has the same effect, I think. Yeah, it is interesting how he's sort of distancing himself again from something fairly significant and from something that, again, it's hard to know how much of a hand, you know, we are not insiders to this organization, but it is also silly to think that he, something that significant to the club, he wouldn't be a part of, uh, to some degree. And yeah, it is, you know, a lot of things can be Ross's decision in theory. Um, but in, you know, like we're going to talk a little bit next about the of Vladdy extension possibility, right? Like in theory, Ross is the, someone who signs off on that, but like Shapiro would undoubtedly have a huge part in that because that is massively meaningful for the organization. Now, I think Vladdy probably means more to the organization than whoever the manager is and the importance of managers has potentially dwindled over time. But I think that's still at the level of interest of a, a president and CEO, so let, let's take a look at the Vladdy thing because the Vladdy extension, you know, especially the Julio Rodriguez one coming up, it has been discussed a lot in recent weeks. And sort of what we were saying, I think, last time we talked about it is sort of what he says here. He says, there's probably a point where you get closer to free agency. The player wants to test free agency. But I still think even if it gets to that point, it's not a player that we can't sign if we're willing to pay whatever the market price is. So we talked about before the idea that maybe the the ship has sailed at least on certain type of extensions for Vladdy because you don't get to say, hey, you're not making anything now. So we're going to kind of spread that money out a little bit more and make it a less annual value and you know a longer extension. That's not really in the cards as much anymore because he's going to be making pretty good good money in arbitration over the next few years. Anyway, so Shapiro continues. I think one thing that might get left out of the public discourse is that it's not a unilateral decision. We're not making decision to sign any individual player long term. It's a relationship between the player and the organization. It's about sharing risk. 
You look for the sweet spot where a player is comfortable giving up some of the upside of reaching free agency and the club is comfortable guaranteeing through ups and downs, injuries and everything else. Both sides are taking on risk in doing that. And you try to find a middle ground where both are comfortable with the risk that they're taking. He went on to talk about the Jose Ramirez contract extension, which um, I don't think is very analogous because that's a very team friendly extension. And I would be surprised if something happens with any of the Blue Jays young stars that ends up being that team friendly. Uh, but he is right in that a lot of the conversations we have about these players are such that it's like, oh, well, the Blue Jays need to sign this player. And therefore, it, we assume that it sort of can happen or that the player's interested in making that happen. And there's a lot of players who think about free agency and are determined to get to free agency. And, you know, Vladdy's made a good bonus. And we talked about his family before. Again, you don't want to assume too much. But he's also making good money in arbitration this season. Like he's fairly well positioned to say, you know, even if it all goes horribly wrong, I'm not going to be destitute here. So I'm willing to bet on myself. And it's perfectly valid for players to do that. And I think as fans, we should be happy to see players do that because we should be happy to see players taking as much money out of the owner's pockets as humanly possible. And so the the storyline of let's make sure Vladdy gets extended, let's make sure Bose gets extended Unless you throw sort of a, a comically, like there's probably an amount of money you can throw at them where they kind of throw up their hands and say like, okay, I'd be stupid not to do this. But within reason, there's no guarantee that the other person at the other side of that is like, yes, I want to do this extension, even at market value. No, I, I, of course. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, I do think that some of his comments were were weird, like, cause as you say, the, the, <laughs> the Ramirez deal is not exactly analogous. And, and I think that they're... You know, Rogers shouldn't have to. This shouldn't even be really a conversation. And I, I you know, I mean, we can we can sip, slippery slope it until we talk about you know, oh well, how much are you really going to pay players? But like, yeah, I think as you say that uh, fans should be very okay, especially fans of a team owned by Rogers Communications should be very okay with you know players taking money out of the owners' pockets. So yeah, I, I don't know, and, and I, I thought that that was I, I thought that that was a weird answer that he gave. It, especially in that, you know, using Cleveland as, as an example, which obviously, and as I wrote, you know, a lot of his base, a lot of, he's informed by his experience with Cleveland. And, and, and like, that's kind of understandable. And like, like the previous subject, like, I think it was maybe a little more innocuous than, than it reads when you, like, go over it with a fine tooth comb. But, uh, but he, he was very much like talking about, well, we can we'll pay market value for this player, but that's about it. And and kind of uh, not not necessarily negotiating through the media, but also, uh, you know, just as a statement of of his values and his philosophy in terms of like all this stuff. Like uh, I, it was it was fairly clear, and I think that that should be clear to uh, to Vlad and Bo's camp as well. Which is that like we'd like you to take a team friendly extension. Otherwise, we're gonna we're gonna have to think about this. We're not gonna overpay you unless we, you know, maybe not ever, but especially not, we're not going to let you think you're getting overpaid and we're not going to go over our own number, which is the thing that they talk about a lot. Uh, it is weird because that's an aspect that is like, there's obviously a disconnect between the front office and fans because fans are just like, well, I don't know. Yeah. something like, like, what are you talking about? This is crazy. You don't, guys like this don't come, come around all the time. Yeah, and the, I mean, there's also the this part of deal making in MLB is probably getting progressively less and less important 
But there is the notion of, you know, whether someone becomes, I don't know, a franchise icon, someone becomes a draw. Uh, they are people who are homegrown players. What is the value of having someone in the organization for 10 years to really anchor fans' interest and things like that? And, you know, Vladdy and Bo are, are kind of different cases, but you could make a pretty good argument that Vladdy is well on his way to being that guy who potentially has a little bit more value to your franchise than what is literally on the field in terms of generating interest, in terms of fan investment. And it is very difficult to put an amount of money on that. But he is the sort of player that maybe it would make sense for the Blue Jays to pay a little bit more for than another team would pay. That being said, this really doesn't seem like the type of front office who's going to do that. And I'm not even saying that like as a front office in their shoes, I would do that. And that is the thing that you absolutely must do. But I do think that it's worth acknowledging that factor. And it's also worth acknowledging that from what we know about this front office, they don't seem to be the types to engage with that line of thinking. Yeah, I, I think that's fair, though. I mean, I think that they, you know, they brought in uh, Ryu, for example, uh, as a guy where they, it was about, I think they, you know, they came into it with their eyes open about what, how much value he might be producing at the end of that contract. I thought it was about more than that. I think that the symbolic stuff or things like that can matter to them. And I also think that, you know, like, uh, they're not alone in that, right? Like around the league, I mean, like, look at Freddie Freeman. Uh, look at look at the. I mean, the Yankees uh, are, are are have not done well uh, in the Aaron Judge situation, but they put a number on what they thought that means to them, and it was not a number that that Judge thought was uh, was commensurate with his uh, with his talents and his production. And then went out and uh, is having a season where he's like growing that number significantly. Uh, but that's sort of how front offices tend to behave. I don't know how many front offices there are left, really. That uh, that would do that. That wouldn't think, well, you know, if we, you know, that that everybody is is replaceable in a way that you know you can, okay, no Freddie Freeman, we'll trade for Matt Olson and we'll do this and this and this and we'll we have like like their their whole job is almost you know planning for the lateral moves they have to make when stuff like that doesn't happen and, and you know we're kind of become. You, we become numb to it as fans a little bit, and uh, and it's a shame because you know, yeah, that's uh, not just because it's like nostalgic and that's the way it used to be when you know teams like basically like owned a guy for for decades, but uh, but like the the one franchise player, the guy who spends his whole career in a, in a certain place and has that bond with that play. I mean, that's that's a special, that cool thing. Like that's that that's that's part of the allure of of sports in general, I think. Right. And so, uh, yeah, I, I, I wish there were more front offices that think that way, but I think based on some of the, the quote unquote hard decisions we've seen front offices make in recent years and, and sort of more and more often as the years go by, not a new thing, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, and that's something that I don't think Jays fans have grappled with yet and don't need to grapple with yet, but like, yeah, Vlad could be a could be a, a six and done kind of guy. Uh, there's, that's that's not uh, he wouldn't be unique if he if he weren't. And I mean, we we spend this time talking about you know do front offices value that you know that continuity and that you know the franchise icon status and all that kind of jazz. But also, as Shapiro said at the beginning of this quote, it, that's a two way street too, right? Like you think of Mike Trout. 
he clearly valued the idea of spending his career with the Los Angeles Angels. That as a sentence is insane. Um, now that we know what we know. Um, but, you know, we, we know very little about what Vlad is thinking at any given time. Like we, we feel like we've gotten to know Vlad a lot on sort of the game to game basis and the way he shows emotion and the, the fun that he has. And I know that the fans feel definitely a connection to Vlad in that way. But we don't hear Vlad sort of speak out on the bigger picture issues very much. Like you kind of hear from Vlad on the day to day about, okay, what went right in that game where you got that big hit or like how big a deal was this thing that happened? Like he, you know, Vlad, he doesn't come out in front of the cameras and, you know, especially with his interpreter and tell people what's on his mind. And not, not all baseball players do, especially when it comes to things like contracts. A lot of them don't involve themselves with any of that and they say that's something they'll get dealt with yada 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 but i do think that overall like we don't know what matters to vlad like does it matter to vlad to play in a you know quote-unquote glamorous market like that doesn't tend to matter to baseball players as much but it does sometimes do we know that what vladdy really needs more than anything to be satisfied is to win a World Series ring and he wants to chase X number of rings and when his free agency comes up or whatever it is, he's going to be the person who really prioritizes a competitive situation. Like these are absolute unknowns with Vlad. I'm not saying that Toronto is a bad market or that Toronto couldn't be the best competitive situation for him because I think Toronto is a great market. I'm biased and I think that there's a good chance the Blue Jays would be one of, if not the best team that he could end up signing with at that time. But we just have no idea where his thoughts are on those things. And that's what part of what makes all of this difficult to speculate on. I, I think that's right. I, I think it's sort of what it, it flows with what we're talking about with, uh, with messaging though, for me a little bit, like I get, uh, we think about, you know, the, the culture that the, the front office talks about wanting to build and, and all that stuff, and then, and then, on, <laughs> on the flip side of that, when they communicate publicly, they sometimes come off like aliens, and it's like, well, is that is that, uh, is that really going to help? I mean, it's obviously it. it so they sold Jose Barrios very quickly on uh, on what they're doing. So may, uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's that they can or can't, um, but that that I think is an interesting aspect of the whole project that they have here, right? Like, I think that that. Uh, it's like, yeah, we like you talk about in the abstract, like culture and, and you know family and all that stuff, right? And and it's like everybody can get behind that, but then it's just like, I don't know. You talk about you talk about PR, and then it's like Ross Atkins talks like, like talks like an alien, and it's like, well, I wonder if he's an alien in terms of what he thinks about like how to best set up an organization. And I'm being unfair to Ross a little bit here as a joke, but like how to set up an organization to be that for those people. And I think they have, you know a ton of people around them. I don't think that this is a problem, but it, it definitely, uh, it definitely does make you think about that. And I don't know if like fans recognize it in those like specific sort of granular ways, but it, it, it I, I'm sure is something that people think about or that is in their consciousness when you, you're thinking like, okay, well, yeah, that, you know, Vladdy should want to sign here. And, and they, you know, talking about, team-friendly contracts and making it the best place. It's like, well, does Vlad agree with you about that? And, uh, and that's yeah. a question I don't really know the answer to yet. 
Yeah, I mean, it's so easy for us to, again, see these guys and the way they play on the field and sort of the joy they seem to play with. And they do, a lot of these guys came to the minors together and they do seem to like each other. And, you know, they're now under Schneider, who they had a lot of that success with. And then you get Shapiro Atkins coming out and talking about the importance of the culture and what they're trying to build and how they've modernized the organization. And, you know, and they, they have landed some big free agents. But they have also done that largely by offering that extra year, which is awfully compelling for most free agents uh, for reasons (laughs) that make a lot of sense. Um, And so we know it's easy for us to build this picture together of, oh, you know, here's X where we see these guys really loving each other on the field and with the chemistry legitimately seems to be really good. And then we see the front office talking about all these things that are building, but we don't necessarily know, like you said, how does a connect to B like, do the players actually buy into what the front office is talking about there? Like, do the players think, that the Blue Jays are going to be a world-class organization that's consistently competitive over the next blah, 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 number of years. Like, do the Blue Jays, do they see them as an ascending group that, um, you know, that is going to be a Dodgers East, a Yankees North, or whatever the hell you want to call it? And I'm not saying that they don't, but it's, I think we've talked ourselves into that picture just because the bits we can see have a narrative that neatly connects to itself but there's a hell of a lot that we don't see and that we don't know. And it's very easy to make assumptions based on information we don't have. I think that's something that human beings are incredibly good at overall. Uh, and, you know, people watching this team are no different. No, absolutely. So everything's bad is what you're saying. Which, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's all rotten that, at the core. You know, I, I've <laughs> no. There's a lot of people on Twitter who would completely agree with that. Who's to say? Who's all I'm all I'm saying is who's to say. Before we get out of the Shapiro of it all here um, and move on, he did talk about Bo, and Bo has been a bit of a lightning rod, um, you know, for Blue Jays fans for much of the season. It's no secret that his 2022 is not as good as his 2021. The and I think this was about a question on sort of how people in the media potentially been hard on Bo, and Shapiro said, "I think no one's harder on Bo than Bo himself." That's the answer I can give. That's probably one of the things that's gonna he's gonna have to figure out over to handle over the course of his career. It's he's so driven to be elite player. He's so driven to be great. He's never satisfied with his effort, and he's never satisfied with his outcomes. And I thought that was an interesting quote because now this is gonna be kind of the opposite of what I just said. Because you can, without all that information, and I'm not saying this is new information or anything, but without that context, you can kind of see that play out. So the way he, you know, sometimes, you know, tr- gets frustrated after bats and or after errors and stuff. Like he's, you know, again, you don't want to be the body language police. That's a very dangerous person to be. But everything that that Shapiro says in that quote tracks with what we see with Bo on a day to day basis. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. And I, and I don't want to be the body language police and it can get weird, but sure. No, that, that, that quote, uh, that quote did make a lot of sense. And that is, I mean, you open up a can of worms and you want to start like psychoanalyzing people. We don't, you know, you don't know or have no qualification to speak about. So I don't want to do that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Shapiro obviously close to the team. Don't know how, you know, how day to day he is, but, uh, 
his what what he sees, he's more informed on it than uh, than any any of us are. And yeah, I think that's I, I think it certainly lines up with what what you you feel when you're watching him on TV, which is something you know as. Uh, as I say, I say, you know, I don't want to talk about it. It's like that's uh, it's a human thing to do as well. You know, I mean, I can't tell, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people who are not like in the day to day like Blue Jays content universe, the, the the Twitter weirdos I was talking about last episode. <laughs> uh, how just more casual fans will be like, oh, Kikuchi, it's in his head, it's between his ears, and like that's. I mean, it's just a very human way to think about things, which I think is weird. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give it too much time, but also, you know. People see stuff. Yeah, and I mean, so like later on, he he goes on to say, to me, this athleticism, his knowledge of the game, his love of the game, the driver, good bet over time. But I would say he probably wants to be better. But I'm not sure he'll ever not want to be better than what he is. Again, like you said before, and it's important that although Shapiro is very calculated, it can be unfair to take everyone's words and go through them with a fine-tooth comb because you never know when something is just slightly misspoken or not exactly what was intended to be said. The sentence, he'll want to be better than what he is, could be construed as a compliment or like a little bit of an insult as well. I think everything Shapiro is saying about Bo is, is meant to be a compliment. I think that he's met, he's trying to say this guy tries so hard, this guy cares so much. And so I don't want to sort of jump down his throat and say, Oh, well, this is him saying that Bo is, you know, he's getting after himself mentally to his detriment and he's, you know, he thinks or wants to be better than he's going to be. I think that's unfair, but it is, uh, it was a, it's a little bit of an interesting way to end that quote. <laughs> no, absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, I think you're right that he does want it to be a compliment, uh, to be a compliment, and that also, like as I addressed as in the big first, like the preamble of that whole piece, uh, is that they and, and we talked about this the last time as well. Like they, they clearly uh, something has scared them about the tenor of the conversation about this team, and they seem to really want to emphasize both, you know, because that was just a, a pillar of what both Atkins said in his impromptuish scrum on Monday, and what Shapiro said in that radio hit is, you know, like hammering home. These guys care. They care. There's urgency. There's accountability. They care. You don't see it. They care. There's, you know, and that, uh, as we said before, and as I, I mean, as I've talked about to people with people on Twitter and, and you know through that piece, like I don't know that that needed to be said. I don't know that it was a great choice for them to do it to do that. But that is definitely like what they seem to want to get across, which I think is you know it is in a way in, in their in their way, kind of trying to stand up for their players and, and stand up for their manager and stand up for their organization, which, uh, again, maybe better left unsaid. And uh, I think we would all prefer if the Blue Jays sort of spoke through their performances in September and the first week of October on their way to the playoffs and those performances as well. That would be the more, uh, that would be the more powerful, to use a word that they like using, uh, message to send is to actually just be good. Uh, and it's weird that they felt that maybe we're going to start laying the groundwork for what we're going to say when, when it fucking goes tits up. But, uh, yeah, that's, that is what they said. And, and it is, it is interesting. Uh, I, 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 and like you say, saying what I, what I wrote as well, like, you know, you don't want to parse it too much. I think that is important to keep in mind that like, I mean, good Lord, listen to me ramble. Like, imagine somebody trying to parse out what I'm saying right here. 
Uh, I mean, is, do we do we do any- have transcripts for these? Don't we? Technically, I can't imagine anyone reads them, but I do think they're out there. No, I think that's they a are. call-in feature. It indeed is. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, kudos to anybody doing that. But yeah, like I mean, I want to I want to be careful and not not get into conspiracy stuff or or get re- reading too much into into something when you know somebody could just very easily it could be completely innocuous. But yeah, I thought I thought there were definitely some. Uh, some interesting comments in that piece. And that was definitely one of them that you have highlighted there. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it is probably most relevant that they did speak as opposed to what they said. Um, And it was not to say that some of that stuff wasn't interesting, but it definitely, there's definitely some intriguing nuggets in there, but the bigger picture thing is the fact that they felt the need to do this, which is noteworthy because they, um, you know, a lot of front offices too tend to kind of disappear this time of year. It's not really for them to do very much or say very much uh, to the media. And so it is interesting that both of those guys came out and separately made these comments. And again, like you said, I think the intentions were good. And whether they came across, that has always been the issue with them. And I don't think that that, uh, I think it was a mixed bag because that's what it usually is with those guys. I do want to touch today on the the playoff odds, and I think part of that is that we're we're talking on September first, and you guys are going to see a lot of playoff odds quoted, I believe, over the next month, whether it's on Twitter or on the radio, TV, and there is a very interesting discrepancy right now between sort of the major odds we're seeing with the Blue Jays and the Orioles in particular just because those are the teams kind of vying for that last wild card spot at this point, which is not to say the Blue Jays couldn't climb in that. But if it's someone's going to kick them... Uh, that's true. That is, Those are the two teams. Those are the two teams, <laughs> somehow. Uh, but anyway, but you but you get a, a big confidence range. So you get the... At Fangraphs, you have the Blue Jays, as we record, at 92.2% and the Orioles at 6.4%. And then at 538, you've got the Blue Jays at 77% and the Orioles at 23%. And then you go over to baseball reference and you have the Blue Jays at 69.1% and the Orioles at 43.6%. So first of all, I wanted to ask you what feels the most real, real of those to you in terms of, yeah, just kind of a gut check on those numbers. And then we can kind of get into how they're different a little bit. I mean, there's a great piece at Fangraphs by Ben Clemens that I recommend everyone goes over and reads. It's an in-depth thing i'm going to read you an excerpt from that but we're not going to do the whole thing on audio um but we will get into it a little bit sort of why that is but i wanted to ask you first how you felt about those numbers um well first i mean we can throw out anything nate silver's touched we all we we already all know about dakota we've seen uh has his the the anti-pundit turn into just the worst most milquetoast pundit uh, just incredulous moron. Uh, no, thank you to Nate Silver's uh, five thirty-eight. Um, uh, we you talked about and we talked about the fan, the, the FanGraphs one uh, on the last episode, which you I believe repeatedly said felt felt a bit heavy to you, and I tend to, I tend to agree. Um, so that therefore by default I, I'm going to go with the Baseball Reference one. Though I would say, uh, you know. I've, I, if the if we played out the rest of the 2022 MLB season from here on out, uh, I don't think the Orioles are making the playoffs 46 times. 
Uh, I think that's absurd. I don't, I, I, you know, they don't, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're calling up prospects. They, they're not playing with pressure, but I, you know, come on. Uh, and and the, 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 that would have, you know, earlier in the year, that would have been an easier thing to get away with saying. And I know right now, obviously, they've played really well and they've found some guys who look like they could be guys. And, you know, I suppose you got to tip your cap to them. But also, uh, I don't think that, that being behind not, not only in the standings, but in terms of like the talent on the roster. Uh, I'm not going to bet a, uh, bet for that as often as the baseball reference odds say. Yeah, I, I find myself most aligned with regardless of any feelings on uh, Nate Silver. I'm going to assume that he didn't <laughs> personally uh, work on their baseball stuff this year. So I, I say the 77-23 sounds pretty good to me. Um, I did want to look at the Fangraphs one because there is a philosophical difference, and I think that it's a difference that's instructive in terms of how we should also think about the rest of the season. So Ben Clemens says, Our odds give the Orioles a lower chance of reaching the playoffs than other sites. That's because we bake in pre-2022 performance into making projections rather than just their run differential this year. Over time, our odds have done pretty well, both late in the year when they differ markedly from other season-to-date style odds. If you want to be cute, you could get an even better estimator using two-thirds projection-weighted odds and one-third season-to-date odds, and that would give the O's a 17.8% chance of making the playoffs, which actually does sound fairly reasonable to me. That's uh, the right, like the right one, yeah. So I, I think that what you're going to see, especially baseball references, like that is based exclusively on what has happened this year. It's a lot about Pythag run differential. And so to those those projections are based on a season in which the Orioles are overperforming to an absurd degree, especially on the pitching side. And in that Ben Clemens piece, he goes on to show that basically every single Orioles, Orioles pitcher, with the exception, I think, of Kyle Bradish, has um, performed far better than projections so far. So every basically anyone taking the mound for the Orioles is projected to do worse from here on out than they have thus far. I think that aligns pretty well with the personnel on that side of the ball, which has been pretty brutal, to be honest. Like if you go and look at who's in the Orioles rotation and who's in, you know, they lost Lopez. They got some guys in the bullpen to be fair, but you know, Jordan Lyles is at the top of this rotation, you know, like it, it is not an impressive group. The Blue Jays have to feel like they line up incredibly favorably with the Orioles, at least at pitching, and to be honest, the lineup as well. So I, I just wanted to use that to kind of forewarn people as they see playoff odds. I would be cautious with baseball reference ones that are floating around because they don't incorporate kind of what we know about players coming into the season. And, you know, Stoughton, as you know, and as many of our listeners know, like what happens over the course of less than a baseball season doesn't necessarily tell us as much about player the players involved than what has happened over the course of their entire careers. You know, like if you, you know, if you look at Vladdy this year, I think he'll probably be projected to do better in September, for instance, than he has done over the course of the season thus far, partly because of what he's shown last season and even as a prospect. Like I'm just gonna pop over to his page of fangraphs now. His zips has him as a one sixty three WRC plus guy for the rest of the season, even though he's only at 142 this year, they have it far more closely aligned with what he did in 2021. And, you know, baseball is something that proves itself to be true. Like the truths in baseball prove themselves over extremely long period of time. And so I don't know that 92 to six is a little, little bit heavy for me, but um, 
Yeah, when you when you see play, playoff odds from here on out, just be wary about the baseball reference stuff that pretends that nothing happened before this year. I think that's a great point. Also, I think that you know the Blue Jays, uh, their run differential, like a lot of that positive run differential is that one game in Boston, right? So, uh, so they're actually pretenders. Yeah, I mean, I was asked about that uh, today. Uh, so, yeah, one game out of 162 that can really skew everything, as we all know. Um, but yeah, I just, I just wanted that was, I guess, more of it, more than anything, that was a little bit of a PSA for people to not freak out about playoff odds that they might see at some point if the Blue Jays lose the next game and suddenly the Orioles are at like 50% and the Blue Jays are at 52 or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's where we are. Like you said, not only are the Orioles behind, they are also significantly less talented. You know, this will bear out basically over their games against the Orioles. Like it's probably going to be as simple as that. And over those nine games, I believe, maybe 10 games with a doubleheader, like I still feel pretty good about the Blue Jays' chances, and I don't think there's a profound reason not to. I completely agree. Uh, It won't make me any less terrified going into those games, but I do agree. Okay, a couple notes before we get out of here. We're basically done. we got a Pirates series coming up. This is a big series for the Blue Jays because the Pirates are trash. They're 4-14 and 14 over the last 18 games. They're also just bad over the course of the entire year. Um, it'll be fun to see O'Neill Cruz, the yeah. author of the hardest-hit ball, um, and very tall shortstop, which is, I don't know, exciting in its own way. Tyler Beatty is their mop-up man, so there's a fun uh, name from the past. Young beat Yeah, there you go. And then last, before we get out of here, shout out to those guys who ate 30 hot dogs combined uh, on Tuesday. We talked before the game, not after. I'm sure that would have been a part uh, of the podcast, so I didn't want to let that slide by. Just based on my own experience, I went to Looney Dogs once, and I wanted to see sort of where my limits were at. I feel like a relatively competent consumer of things. I don't think hot dogs are necessarily my... Uh, I don't know. It's not my category if I was doing competitive eating. No, no, I'm no Joey Chestnut. And (laughs) after six, I really didn't want a seventh. So the fact that these guys took down 30 and one of them in particular ate 18, I think is a pretty impressive accomplishment. Those hot dogs are um, downright brutal, but I'm glad to see that, you know, Shai's been keeping track of it all year long. And I think last uh, Tuesday was the top uh, Looney Dog output of all time. Gross, not on a per fan basis, but we had seen a decline through well, mid-August in several ways. Really gross, <laughs> and so that was too easy. Um, no, but we'd seen a decline on a per fan basis. So I'm happy to see that the fans' uh, appetite has gotten better. Uh, you know, it is a it is a great deal if you're looking to ingest a high quantity of food. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's good. I like, to, I like to see commitment to the bit, and that's what these guys did, and I hope that they uh, have survived the last couple of days. Yeah. Uh, I was talking to people last night. I was like, they, they sold 45,000 hot dogs to the Blue Jays game, and, and the non-Blue Jays fans were uh, who did not know of, of the Looney Dog uh, nights that they've been doing were – uh, I'm going to say aghast about it, <laughs> um, though, you know, once you start doing the math, it's like, okay, like 1.5 hot dogs per person or whatever, whatever the hell it was. It's like 1.35. Okay. Is that what it works out to? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that, 
I mean, it's still a lot. I don't know what the lineups would be like. We we discussed that. We discussed, you know, I'm like, you know, if the if there was just a dispenser at your seat and you could just keep like like I mean, there is speaking of commitment to the bit. I mean, good lord, uh, you're gonna have to stand in line for your Looney Dogs. I'm very confident. Oh yeah, those lines are brutal. Like that, that, those lines can cost you an inning. You can only get four at a time, which seems silly because I can definitely carry more than four hot dogs. Yeah, um, you know. that makes the forty-five thousand number quite impressive. And also, uh, we discussed uh, how how like just to, just trying to visualize forty-five thousand hot dogs. Like how many how many tractor trailers are the are those? How many like eighteen wheelers could, do you need for forty-five? Maybe just one. I don't even know. I my brain. They're pretty me. small. They're pretty small. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of like filling a whole house with them. Like every room of a house, you just open uh, it up and hot dogs fall out. That is that is the dream, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, one hot dog related thing, because Tuesday, I believe the dome was closed on Tuesday, right? Because I, mean, I believe on Wednesday, people were like, "Oh, well, thank God, we have the the dome open." Assuming to, that today is Thursday and yesterday was Wednesday. Uh, but uh, that I feel is an unfortunate situation to be in on Looney Dog Night, and I and I can say this especially because. Uh, in the early Drunk Jays fans days, we would do shows and we would do things at Upper Bob's. We'd do like watch uh, watch parties and stuff like that. And often uh, they would it would be like oh free like free hot dogs or free like ballpark franks or something like that as an enticement to get people to come in. And it would just be rammed. It was fucking wild. Uh, not uh, wild in the sense that people showed up, not in the sense that things got wild. Except for all of the hot dogs and uh, being consumed. And what the fucking bar smelled like after about 60 dudes <laughs> ate about 400 hot dogs. It was not good. And, uh, and I hope that, you know, the vast expanse of the Rogers Center, even with the roof open, at least allowed some sort of dissipation of anything close to what that experience was like. Because if, like, 45,000 hot dogs being consumed in short order in an enclosed space, even though it's still pretty big, I could see that being a problem. Uh, yeah, I think that also <laughs> last, 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 last hot dog thought, you know, I, th- I thought we were going to be done a couple minutes ago, but I do have a last hot dog thought. This is a hot dog tip um, from my Looney Dog experience, is that in order to make the Looney Dogs more palatable, I brought a small cooler bag full of uh, r- like higher end condiments, like nice. good hot sauces and barbecue sauces and things like that, and some che- various cheeses. <laughs> Legendary. Uh, in, in order to make the hot dog, because they are just, if you go and you've never been before, and I don't know who's listening to this podcast who needs to know this, but you know, there's got to be somebody. If you go, they are truly dreadful, and there's a good chance they won't necessarily even be that warm when you get one. So if you can bring things to enhance the experience to make it less um, just literally bad, that is my way of doing it. And I, I, I did get some odd looks from security, but I still pass on uh, that <laughs> pearl of wisdom in case it does anyone any good. I do feel like when I was at opening day, it was like literally ketchup packets, relish packets, mustard packets. That's it. There, there were days. There were days when there was an onion dispenser and stuff like that. But I was, I was not able to find it when I was getting a dog on opening day. 
Yeah, so there you go. That's uh, <laughs> we'll end we'll end it there with uh, a surprising amount of hot dog thoughts, and <laughs> we have we have not uh, done the schedule for next week, but. Next week, I think you can rest assured we'll have something more traditional after a game or two, if that's something you guys have been missing. It's just a bit of an odd one the way this week lined up. Uh, so we appreciate you guys listening in at an unusual time, doing the happy hour thing with us, and whoever comes to listen to it after the fact. And we'll see you next week. A hot dog, we have a wiener. <laughs>